Well, good morning and welcome to Christ Church. Um, happy holiday weekend. Happy birthday to the United States. And special greetings to those joining us at Crossroads Highland Park and at the 01. So, um, in this Choices series, I want to talk about the choice to be married, not as opposed to being single. Uh, Paul celebrates singleness in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, he says, I wish everybody were single. He advocates for it, says it's a better path, a lot simpler, uh, more time to serve, more time to focus on the things of, of heaven and eternity. So I'm not making a distinction here. I'm not going to talk here about the choice between getting married or being single. I'm going to talk about the choice between getting married or living together. Uh, apparently, I'm looking for fireworks in this service. Uh, I realize that this is, a, this is a controversial topic. I realize that some of you are living together, or you did, or you plan to. Uh, I understand that some of what I say may make some of you mad. Uh, that's never my goal, but for the record, it's never my goal to not make you mad either. Uh, I can't really pay attention to that. I'm not running for homecoming king, I'm trying to be a pastor. So my goal is to figure out what uh, the Word of God is saying, what God is saying, sort of his position on things, and then to communicate that in as, in as effective and compelling a manner as I can. So uh, I chose this topic for a few reasons. First of all, it, it started to occur to me several months ago that uh, marriage needs a little bit of defense. And uh, some of this grew out of the research I was doing for the book. There's, there's a variety of different ways, if you're going to write a book on the future, there's a variety of different ways you try to figure out what's going to happen. I use the method of saying, let's pick a couple big ticket items, a couple big macroscopic global important trends, Go back 100 years, see where they were 100 years ago, follow the trajectory over the last 100 years, and then say, it's unlikely anybody can turn these things off quickly. They're, they've got momentum, and so they're going to at least go for the next 10 or 15 years. Where do they take us? And, um, and there's some, as I've said, I'm more optimistic about the future than I was when I, uh, before, I, before I did my research. But there are some areas that I got uh, more pessimistic, and this is one of them. Uh, I, was, I was unprepared for some of the things that I learned. I have a graph, uh, if we can put that up for just a second. Uh, this is a graph about uh, marriage, and the top green line you can see, marriage is just, for the last 50 years, marriage has just been going down, 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 down. Fewer and fewer people are getting married. And uh, divorce is down as well, which is a good thing, except sort of a false positive because people aren't getting married, they're living together, and the government doesn't track when couples that are living together break up. And so you have a lot less divorce, but you have a lot more breaking up going on. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of pain out there. But I, just there's some, there, these are some big trends, and they're significant. And um, so, I, so I sort of woke up uh, when I was doing some of this research Another reason that I decided to speak on this topic is because I ended up in a lot of conversations over the last couple years uh, with people who some sort of, I think, looking for my opinion on whether or not uh, it was a good idea for them 
uh, to move in with somebody, some looking maybe even more for my permission or my blessing on this. And uh, I've been in these conversations for 35 years. I was a college pastor, so you back way up to there, lots of people, uh, especially in a, you know, in, in a liberal state like Washington, lots of people, college students, 20-year-olds, living together or wanting to live together. And so I was in these conversations a lot. But they, they've changed. The arguments have changed. Initially it was, well, marriage is nothing. It's, it, it's just, it's, it's a man-made contrivance. It's a, you know, it came out of the Bronze Age where you just control property rights or it's oppressive to women or it's oppressive to men or it's, it's just cohabitation with a cake or it's meaningless slip of paper, whatever. So you got all those sort of denigrations of marriage. Uh, and then there were some people making the argument that it was just, this is about saving money. I'm like, oh, please. Uh, it's not about saving money. This is about sex. It's not about saving money. Let's at least call it what it is. Uh, so I, I heard that. Um, today, the arguments that I hear from people in their 20s and 30s is actually very different. It's marriage is important. It's a big deal. And I do not want to mess it up. So I need a trial. I need, to, I need a pilot program. We got to see whether or not we're compatible. We got to see whether or not this will work. And interestingly, 40% of the people who think that marriage is, they have a very cynical view of marriage. It's outdated. It's all those things, right? The Bronze Age, whatever. 40% of people who are single who have a cynical view of marriage want to get married. Uh, and so they say, it's, but it's, it's, it's a big deal. I don't want to mess it up. And so we need this trial period. Now, from older people, and that's who I've had most of my conversations with lately, people in their 60s or 70s, it, it again is, it's often a financial argument. And they say, look, if I get married, I was married for 30 years. If I get married, then I lose this pension. I lose this alimony. I lose whatever. And I've already been married. It's too complicated. I don't want to do that again. I just, you know, but I'm lonely. And so I, we just want, we want to be married, we'll be committed, but not married, right? And um, so I'm in these conversations, and it felt like it was probably important to, uh, uh, to go after this and to tackle this. And um, so just for the record, my experience of seeing this sort of bubble up and having more conversations about it is not, um, not a surprise. Living together has is, is increased 1,500% uh, in the last 50 years. And about 70% of, of couples that get married will live together in the U.S. today before they get married. So I sort of come at this and say, look, the burden of proof now is, is on someone who wants to advocate that living together is maybe not a good idea because it's the new normal it's expected. Everybody's doing it. You save money. It, there's, a, there's an opportunity for a trial here. Uh, so it seems like the burden of proof would be on anybody who wants to say marriage is a better option. Now, for the record, uh, we got here uh, in a. We got here honestly. We got here into this situation uh, over about the last hundred years. So if we go back 100 years, marriage was a very different institution for a lot of different reasons. Uh, if you were to ask somebody at the early part of the 20th century to define marriage, you would have heard that it was a sacred, uh, a sacred covenant, a legal contract entered into 
between a man and a woman who were uh, committed to living and working together for the rest of their lives. It was assumed that he would provide for her. It was assumed that she would run the, the home and raise the kids. It was assumed uh, that, that together they would, they would have this family and they would take care of each other until one of them died. And there were a whole lot of other assumptions. Uh, sexual fidelity and monogamy were assumed. Uh, gender roles were assumed. Getting married was something that happened to almost everybody. And um, women got married when they were in their late teens or early 20s. Both men and women were expected to be virgins uh, at the time of their, of their marriage. And as soon as they got married, they started having children. Not simply because birth control wasn't what it has become, but because children were an economic asset. And you wanted as many as you could have because uh, they, they were free labor on the farm. And they were your 401k plan. Uh, when you got old, you needed someone to take care of you. There was no social security, so you wanted to have as many kids as you could have. And uh, today it's a very different arrangement. By the way, a hundred years ago, there was also this understanding that you needed to have kids for the collective good. Because society needs kids. Uh, the, the tribe needs kids. The village needs children. Right? Uh, marriage equals sex, sex equals babies, society needs babies, you need to get married. In some cultures, not in this country, but in some cultures, if you're a 25-year-old male and you're not married, you started paying a fine every year because, hey, look, you're part of this collective group and the group needs kids. So you need to get married and get busy because we need kids. Very different arrangement today. If you ask people about marriage today, it is a voluntary uh, a arrangement made by two people who love each other and who believe that being together offers them the best chance of being happy. The goal is happiness, not children. Marriage is a private agreement governed by the couple's desires. The needs of society and the dictates of government are not important uh, marriage may be a gateway to adulthood, but it is not the only way. As a matter of fact, uh, getting married is neither expected nor required. Those who marry before their mid-20s are foolish. Um, their marriage is much more likely to fail. Both spouses need to finish their education and get established and settled in before they think about marriage. Entering marriage as a virgin is unrealistic. Besides, living together is a wise first step because it allows couples to see if they are uh, compatible. Now, uh, as I said, there are honest reasons, there are understandable reasons that this transition has taken place. Uh, one of them, marriage is very different in part because we live so much longer. So there are different uh, stresses and strains on the institution. 200 years ago, the average life expectancy worldwide was 29. So you're obviously not looking at a, at a 30 or 40 year relationship if, you know, if the average life expectancy is 29. Secondly, again, there's this whole idea about children. Uh, you wanted lots of children. And part of what happened because of that is a lot of women died in childbirth. Uh, they had 10, 12, 14 children and, and maybe died in childbirth. Uh, and then it was also, today is very different because we're on the other side of the sexual revolution. 
Now, everybody knows that the 60s was a wild time and it changed everything. I, I, I knew that. I didn't completely appreciate how dramatically different today is than pre-sexual revolution. Uh, so there's lots of data points on this. Two anecdotal observations. Uh, before the sexual revolution, just before the sexual revolution, uh, Lewis Reed tried to introduce the bikini. He's a fashion designer. He tries to introduce the bikini. He's named it the bikini after the South Pacific Islands where the U.S. was testing the atomic bomb because, in his words, he wanted to drop a bomb on society. That was his goal. But his problem is he couldn't find anyone to model it. No one was willing to model it. So he, he, he said, I even went to the French I couldn't get any French models to model it. I couldn't get anybody to model it. He finally uh, hires a stripper to model it. So today, $8 billion of bikinis are sold this year, right? I mean, it's just, it's just a different time. Pre-sexual uh, revolution, primetime TV, uh, married couples slept in separate beds on TV shows, right? The, the, the producers of the Dick Van Dyke show uh, said it would be scandalous to allow Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore to lay in the same bed, even clothed. Uh, it was a scandal to do that. So they slept in separate beds on the, on the show, uh, even though they were Rob and Laura Petrie um, married in, in the show. So, look, there's, there's a thousand of these. We're breathing different air. It's a very different time now on the other side uh, of the revolution and 50 years later. So, um, so I could go on, but I hardly need to. The point is not that the 60s created illicit sex. They didn't. There, there has always been that. But it was during this time that sexual practices and societal values became untethered from more traditional values. And in the process, marital dynamics changed. And one of the things that started slowly but has gained lots of, of energy and effort is the idea of living together uh, outside of marriage. And so it is the new normal. If I want to make an argument that, that marriage is better, uh, then I feel the burden of proof. So let me, let me tell you, I want to I share a couple reasons why I think you don't want to live together. And, and some of this is just, I'm just, hoping that this gets filed away in the minds of 15-year-olds for when the opportunity or the challenge or the pressure presents itself uh, 10, 5, 10 years from now, whatever that might be. Um, I'm going to assume, by the way, that we all understand when I'm saying living together. I'm not talking about you happen to be living in the same house with 30 other people and the person that you're uh, interested in, it lives in a different room, but you, you're, you know, we're talking about having sex and sharing rent. Uh, living together is acting as if you are uh, a husband and wife in most ways. So the question is not, what is living together? I think the real question becomes, what is marriage? And why would it be better than living together? And I think there's some I think there's confusion about that out there at this point. Um, so let me say, the Bible has got a lot to say about marriage. It opens with a marriage, God officiating a marriage, Genesis 2. It closes with a marriage, book of Revelation. 
looking at the celebration of the marriage between Jesus and his bride, the church. And throughout it, marriages and other covenant relationships are critically important for a variety of reasons. Now, marriage, Genesis 2, what we see is the, the first, one of the first purposes of marriage is to solve the problem of loneliness. So uh, God creates uh, man, it's, it's not good. Right? Everything has been good or very good in the, in the creation narrative we find in the early chapters of Genesis. But it's not good with man. It's not good for man to be alone. And so in Genesis 2, towards the end of that chapter, there's the, there's the account of, of, uh, uh, of the creation of woman. And, and the, the, the man's response is, yes, finally, at last, perfect. Didn't know what I was after, but that's it. Uh, so so it, is, it is to solve the problem of loneliness. A second thing that we see, not chapter and verse that I can point to, but, but it clearly develops throughout Scripture, is that marriage, like the church, is to create a haven of, of, of love and support in the midst of a broken world that's difficult. There should be islands of health and hope and acceptance and unconditional love in a community that is otherwise a little bit more Darwinian or Machiavellian, that the family needs to be that kind of environment, as does the church. A third reason for marriage is that it's out of the intimacy between a a, a man and a woman who love each other that you have new life coming, and that this new life will be nurtured and fostered in the context of that relationship. Um, A fourth reason is uh, also not given anywhere, but it's obvious if you've been married that this is the case. Uh, Your spouse becomes the person who refines your character the most, right? So I I have been changed uh, for the better, more profoundly by Sherry than, than anyone else. That whole sanctification process happens uh, in a marriage. And then, um, this is one most people don't think about, but in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, we have Paul writing, and he quotes here from the same passage in Genesis 2 that I just referenced, And he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ in the church. Um, Now, you want to say, no, Paul, you were not talking about Christ in the church. You were talking about a man and a, a woman and marriage. But Unlike the way we think about it, like this idea that Jesus is going to marry the church and that that marriage sort of, uh, uh, you know, helps us understand a little bit about our marriages here, right? That we can understand a little bit more about our marriage by, by looking at that. That's a crazy thought. But actually in Scripture, the marriage of Jesus to his bride is the big marriage. And our marriages are actually just pointing to that. Like, that's the big idea. And it's the unconditional love that, that Jesus has for us that, that serves as, as sort of a template for how we're to think about marriage. Um, one other thing I'll say about marriage, and I've, I've tried to develop this point on several occasions, marriage is not a contract, it's a covenant. And while they're 
close, they're not the same thing. And uh, the marriage vows that you take, which you make, by the way, to God, not to each other. So the, the couple gets to hear each other say, I do, but they're saying it to the community and they're saying it to God. Uh, the, the vows that you're taking are such that no good attorney would let you make them, right? Because you are, attorneys want to limit your exposure and they want to put in performance clauses that say, here's your, here's your out, right? If this party doesn't perform at this level, then you're, you're free, right? No, marriage is, for better or worse, in sickness and in health, right? Uh, forsaking all others, I'm giving up my rights. I am giving up my rights. And I'm saying the well-being of this other person is, is now more important uh, for me. That's my priority, even over my own well-being. Now, I, I spoke uh, last night, and uh, I got an email from somebody uh, last night saying, this is amazing. So what you're saying is that I should be more important to my wife than she is to herself. And I said, no. <laughs> that, is, that is not what I am saying. That is not your takeaway. Your takeaway is she is more important to you than you are to yourself. So do not, do not go that path uh, and exercise in missing the point. So there, marriage is a covenant relationship. So having said that, the question now becomes, uh, okay, so why not live together? And I want to I offer a couple reasons why I think this is not uh, the best plan. And the first one is because God who loves you more than you love yourself and who knows all things better than you know them, who is for you says, this is a bad plan, right? Now, we don't like to hear that. We don't like to hear restrictions. We hate restrictions. No one's ever liked restrictions, but we hate restrictions. The whole ethos of our culture is freedom, 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 freedom of any thought, any expression. No one should be able to curtail individual expression of freedom. That's, that's today's, that's the air we breathe, right? We need to be free. Well, look, that, that's just, that just doesn't work. So remember, there's a difference between freedom of and freedom from. So the freedom of uh, discipline leads to the freedom that we want. You want financial freedom? right? You want to be financially free? That comes by being disciplined and following certain principles. You want a marriage that, th that thrives? That comes by being disciplined and, and, and focused on the well-being, dying to self and, and, and elevating your spouse, right? You want, you want the freedom to be a, a great artist or a great musician? That comes by the discipline of practicing scales and learning color theory and everything else. There is a freedom that comes from discipline. What many people want today is they want the freedom of discipline. They don't want any discipline, and they want all the perks of, of as if they had discipline. It just doesn't work, right? If you, if you eat whatever you want, if there's no discipline on eating the right food, no discipline on working out— you're not in good shape. And it doesn't matter whether you think you ought to be or not. It just doesn't work that way. 
And so there is, there is probably no area where this is more uh, evident than when it comes to our own sexuality. It, it, is, it is by design, by God's design, and God designed it, not Hugh Hefner. God is the one who figured out how to wire us for pleasure. God is the one that figured out how the parts will fit together. This is all God's plan. He's not approved. He's not the least bit embarrassed by any of this. God says, I have made sex overwhelming by design. So here's the safeguards you need to place on it. And, and these, are, these are loving directives. He's saying, you head down this path, you're going to get hurt. Don't head down that path. Right? And so people will often misunderstand uh, God and how sin works. There's this, there's this understanding that, uh, well, I've, I've occasionally had people come to me and say, Oh, Mike, I, I, Pastor, I, I, you know, uh, two years ago I cheated on my taxes, and now my niece has cancer, and I know this is God punishing me. And I go, no, no, that might be karma, but that's not, that's not the gospel. That's not, that's not how God works. If you came to me and said, I cheated on my taxes two years ago, and now I got this massive fine, and I might have to, uh, might have to spend some time in, in, in jail because of what I've done, I go, yeah, that actually is what God was trying to prevent when he said, be honest, don't steal, obey the government. So, so God posts these warnings not because he's a prude and he wants, he, he wants to punish us and he's looking for an opportunity to do that. He posts these warnings because, look, this is, this is overwhelming stuff and it is designed, God's designed. To be at its best in the context of one man, one woman in a lifetime where they're committed to each other, the absolute best of the other. There's nothing casual about sex. As I've said to many college students, if it's casual, you're doing it wrong. It's not casual. It's designed to be overwhelming and profound. And, and so there are protections that God has placed on this. Now, um, I know that, uh, that some of you say, well, I just, you know, it's good for you, fine, and you're married, so, you know, whatever. None of this applies. It's unrealistic today to think that, uh, that you, can, you can not be sexually active uh, in this culture. Okay, it's, it's not unrealistic. Hard, yes. And, uh, and I understand that some of you are not ready to say, okay, God has given me this directive and I'm ready to trust God. I'm sorry. There's a lot of freedom that comes with that. There's a lot of freedom that comes with coming to the point where you say, the word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, right? I, I follow this. I don't always understand why. But I follow this because I believe there is a good God who knows better than I do. And, and these are loving instructions about how life could work. So um, I understand that, that some of you may not be uh, ready to sign up for this. But I want to say, uh, look, the first argument I would set in front of you as to why not to live together is because um, it's not God's plan. And in my notes, I put lots of Bible verses that you can go to. I actually am also impressed with the, uh, with the example of church history 
where we see that, uh, that the early church fought against the process of, of men of means having concubines, which were basically <clears throat> lower class uh, women that, that were for their sexual pleasure that they had no responsibilities to. They could walk away from it at any point in time. And if there were children born, those children were of, of a lesser status. And that's not entirely equivalent to living together today because obviously both the man and the woman can walk away at any time. But the church fought against this saying, no, this isn't, this isn't the way this is supposed to work. This isn't the picture we get of marriage. This isn't the picture we get of God's love for us as demonstrated with Jesus' love for his bride. This is a second best plan. So the first thing I would say is, look, um, you, you go to the Bible and you see this is not a good option. I would also say that living together is not a good plan because it doesn't work. Um, and you don't even have to just go to the Bible to see this. We can just go to the social statistics to see this. So the average marriage lasts two decades. Average living, time living together lasts 15 months. Married couples almost always pool their assets. Those living together generally split the costs. Married men boost their income when they grow up, settle down, and get married. Right? They, they become more responsible and they tend to, to, to shoot up in the marketplace. That There's no similar effect for uh, a man. I don't have these statistics for a woman, but for a man who is living with a woman. Couples living together do not take the responsibility for the other person's health and well-being uh, to heart as they do when they're married. As they do when they think, I'm going to be with this person for the rest of my life. Uh, men are four times more likely to be sexually unfaithful living together as opposed to marriage. Women are eight times more likely to be sexually unfaithful living together as opposed to married. Couples that live together report less sexual satisfaction than couples that are married. Women who live with a man other than their husband are more likely to suffer violence, as are their children. Both men and women who live uh, with with, uh, someone not their spouse are more likely to be depressed than those who are married. I could, I could go on, right? And these are, these are arguments that come out of the New York Times and Atlantic Monthly and, and a whole bunch of other cases. Meg Jay, a professor at the University of uh, California, Berkeley, has written on this, and, and she has a very popular TED's video, TED Talk video, called 30 is Not the New 20. Her, her specialty is on 30-year-olds. And she said... The big thing, and she, she comes right out and says, look, I have no moral compunction to say you shouldn't live together. But what you have to understand is it's not working. And I get all these people in their 30s who say, oh my goodness, I, was, I had life wired for success so much better when I was 23 than I do now that I'm 32 because my 20s ended up being sort of a lost decade. So I would commend that to you. Again, the statistics are are all over the place. Uh, You know, generally when you get into statistical studies, it's complicated in social sciences because you can't control all the variables on human lives. And and those on the left tend to say people make bad life choices because they're in poverty. Those on the right tend to say people are in poverty because they make bad life choices. There's a lot of data out there. It, it is pretty overwhelmingly in favor of saying marriage is a far better plan than living together. And by the way, if you live together and then get married, there's a 50% greater likelihood that that marriage will end in divorce and you report less marital satisfaction than if you had just gotten married. Uh, again, <clears throat> my primary argument today is not 
the social sciences and statistics. I'm coming at this as a pastor. So I want to give you one final reason. And this is, I think, the, the the heart of the issue. People that live together, in particular living together to see whether or not marriage is going to work, right? They're, 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 I'm, I'm going to take, this is one I've heard a fair bit, I need to test drive uh, the car. You wouldn't buy a car unless you test drove it. And I, I just wanted to say, okay, so you're both telling me you want to test drive the car. Which one of you is the car and which one of you is the driver? Uh, my guess is both of you think you're the driver, but okay. Uh, and... And also I hear, we, we want to find out if we are compatible. At which point I say, look, <laughs> Sherry and I have been married for 30 years. I'm pretty sure we're not compatible. Uh, it, I, it, it doesn't, that's, that's not the question. And if you want to find out if you're compatible, then do not start having sex. Because as soon as you start having sex, then everybody looks better. And you overlook all the flaws and all the fact that you're not actually compatible because sex is this overwhelming situation. And it, it is designed by God to be a glue. So you're not going to have a clear understanding of what's going on. But here's the big issue. Right? People who live together to see whether or not marriage is going to work misunderstand the nature of love and misunderstand the nature of marriage. So love is, the goal here, the the goal here is not that you're going to find a person who is going to be your soulmate and everything is going to be perfect once you find this person. It's going to be easy because love should be easy. It'll be easy. No. Who told you love was easy? No. Love isn't easy for parents of newborns. There's nothing easy about that. Love wasn't easy for Jesus dying on the cross. There's nothing easy about that. Love is not always easy. There's a period, there are times where it's very easy, where it lines up. But what, what we have to understand is love, the kind of love you can build a life on, the kind of love you can raise children in, the kind of love that, would, that will lead to a marriage that will last, that is about a commitment. It's not about feelings. And so you make a commitment and you say, from this point forward, this commitment that I have made, is going to govern my marriage and inform my feelings, as opposed to saying my feelings are going to govern my commitment. And, and when you're living together to see whether or not we're going to be compatible and whether or not it's going to work and whether or not it's going to be easy, it will be easy for a while, and then it won't be. And, and you want that commitment so that you move forward. Furthermore, get, living together is sort of like handing someone a blank check. And what people who hand a blank check to someone generally de- tend to do is they, they go del- delete that account or d- drive it down so that their exposure is limited. So you still, you're, not even, you're not even getting the totality of the other person. It's just a completely different orientation going forward. So it doesn't work. Now, I realize some of you are living together. You have whatever. You have different opinions. As I said, I, I want you to hear <laughs> that God is for you. And I, I truly believe this is the best way forward. And not easy and increasingly uncommon. But, but it is God's plan. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your... Uh, Thank you for your word. Thank you for 
guidelines. Thank you for caring enough to, uh, to, to place some signs out there to direct us to the path that will work the best. Uh, I want to pray that, um, that we would have a greater ability to see and understand that and to lean into that. I want to pray for those who are very conflicted by what they've heard. I want to pray that you would help them understand that the gospel is not clean up your life, clean up your sex life, clean, do everything according to the rules, and then you earn heaven or my favor. That they will understand that, that uh, you meet everybody where we are, that we're all profoundly broken. Uh, the gospel is that we can, we're worse than we dare believe, but your love and grace are greater than we could dare imagine. And, uh, and that we, we get to come to you and that you meet us where we're at and you help things work better. So I pray to that end. I pray that you would uh, prepare us now as we come to this table. In Jesus' name, amen.